to the West Campus, the North Campus, to those that are watching online. We love you. You are here with us in spirit. For those that are in the house, I feel like there's a small part of me that gets to like welcome people as well because this isn't just a church that I'm popped into. This is a church that feels like home. And when I come back here, I get to be like the loud, obnoxious, never on time cousin that just speaks too fast that you don't really want to claim. Yes, that's me. Okay. So this Mexican, Mexican, Puerto Rican is rolling up to Springfield on a Sunday to bring not only some hood, some street cred, some swag, but I want to open up God's word and say, welcome home. Wherever you are at, whether online at our satellite campuses or in this house, you belong here. And this is not just something that we say uh, because it's part of the announcements. It's something we want you to feel. Welcome home. You are, you may feel weary. You may feel tired. You may feel disqualified. You may feel broken, but you are welcomed in this house. Not because of who you are, what you bring, but just the goodness of God that is saying, come in those who are weak, those who are weary, those who are tired, those that are happy, those that are rejoicing, come in, be part of this home. And whatever your name is, God already knows your name. He has foreordained you to be here this Sunday with us. And when I come into this, this house. I love seeing people that I know, whether online through social media or through DFL or even this past uh, Friday night at DSN. I love remembering people's names, whether that is Hannah or Savannah, whether that is Nicole or Brandon or John or Debbie, who Pastor Debbie is out of the hospital. Praise the Lord for miracles, right? Yes. Yes. And names are very important to me, um, probably because I didn't share this in the first service, but my mom was a hippie. Um, she homeschooled all five of her children, and she was really intentional at crafting our names, and she would always tell us the importance of names. And so it literally, ever since I was a kid, I was obsessed with this idea of names. Um, my name means um, white flower. Uh, again, she was a hippie, right? I know, praise the Lord for the 60s. And... Um, and, and, and so ever since a child, I've always been fascinated with this idea, the meaning, the power, the story behind a name. Um, one of my favorite name asking stories is, I'm very inquisitive, by the way. I will always ask, what's the meaning of your name? What's the meaning of your name? Well, um, I was um, on a plane, on a connecting flight, and someone came, and they were cleaning up the plane. And this girl is just lovely, beautiful, had just a glow about her. And we started talking, and I asked her, I'm like, oh, what is, what is your name? And she said, my name is Fimale. What an interesting name. What does it mean? She's like, well, my mom um, was um, a refugee from Somalia and came here. And she was pregnant when she came here, but I was born here in the United States. And when they brought me over in the plastic bassinet, there was a label on my, uh, on the baby bed that was F-E-M-A-L-E. And my mother thought that in America, they named your children the slow people are like, what'd she say? Female. But her mom thought it was Fomale, right? Like, isn't that fun? I thought that was like a super fun name story. So clearly I'm obsessed with the meaning of names. And you know what I like? Oh, you guys came to laugh. I like the second service. Yes, I do. Y'all had your coffee. You guys are going to play with me. Yes. You came to church, and if you were with us on Friday night, we turn up for Jesus, and I want to just let you know you don't have to bring your church faces, and we're very serious on Sunday mornings. No, we're going to open up the Word of God and have a party in the name of Jesus, and um, as we do that, I want us to talk about a little bit of the power of names, the understanding of names, the meaning of names, and I'm not the only one. 
in Hebrew culture, um, names were taken very seriously. And I love that there was always a reason behind the meaning of a name. If you're a note taker, I want you to jot down that in Hebrew culture, name was either a prophetic foretelling of someone's destiny or a, a, a circumstance surrounding a pregnancy. For example, the name Isaac means what, Bible scholars? Laughter, that's right, yes. No, he was named Laughter because Isaac's mama, Sarah, she laughed at the idea that her 80-something-year-old self was going to be pregnant. So the Lord, because think about it, if you're 80-something, you're buying the pens, and yet the Lord is calling her to buy diapers now. You know, like, that's funny, y'all. That is very funny. So she laughed, and Isaac means laughter. The name Moses means pulled from water. Where was Moses pulled out of? The Nile, yes, you can tell Pastor John is a man of the word. You Bible scholars, the Bible scholars always sit in the front of the class. You know, they're kind of annoying, but we love them. Yeah, gold star for all of you, okay? Then the back of the auditorium on the West Campus, on the online campus, I want you to talk back to the screen for extra credit. The name Jacob means what? Supplanter or cheater, and he is shady, Mick shady, right? He lied to everyone and their baby mama, okay? So names had importance. Names were super important back then, and dare I say, names are important today. We could say things like sticks and stones don't break my bones, but oh, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But to this day, I still remember people not knowing my biological name, but calling me things like beaner, stupid, dumb, obese, fatso, illiterate. I remember, vividly remember as a child, listening to people make fun of my father's immigrant accent and calling him a wetback beaner. I still remember friends and even, even family members questioning the fact and the validity that my mom wanted to home educate, educate her children, though she didn't have a college education. But we have to be careful, Bible scholars and note takers, that we do not let our issues become our identity. We have got to know who God calls us to be. We must be willing to fight for what we know to be true about our God and about ourselves. Okay, um, for those that you know are really quiet today, I just want to let you know you came to church today. Not just to church on a Sunday morning, but to church where you're going to holler back, you can talk back, you can say amen. And when you say amen, glory, come on somebody, you are not affirming my ego. You're not assaging my ego. You are confirming what the Lord is speaking to you internally, externally. Amen. So be it. That is for me. Come on, somebody. If you're really holy, you could even say, yes, Lord, that is for my spouse. No judgment. No judgment. I've been that wife. Sometimes the Holy Spirit needs my help. Okay. So today I ultimately want to talk about the importance of our names and what's being spoken over to us, but ultimately to get us to the point of fighting for our field. So uh, those that brought your Bible, I pray an extra blessing upon you for the heathens in the house. We put the scriptures on the screen just for you, okay? If you are new or visiting or you just forgot your Bible, there's no judgment. We absolutely love you and we're gonna pour through God's word together, amen? Turn with me to 2 Samuel 23 as we just invite the Lord just to be in this room and over us today. 
God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. Before anything else, we give you honor and glory for the word that is going to be dispensed in our hearts. Your word says that it is sharper than any two-edged sword to pierce bone and marrow. So pierce our hearts, Lord God, and do a work, not through the worship, not through the parking attendants, not through the teachers or the pastors, but Lord, do the work that only you can do. And may we be conduits your hands and your feet as we scour your scripture. Speak to us today. Fill this room with the power of your spirit in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you brought your Bible, that was a ripe time to say amen and not feel like this is a little too charismatic for me. You could say amen. Amen? amen. Yes. Okay, turn with me your Bible to 2 Samuel 23. We're going to camp out in this uh, in this particular chapter. Uh, Second Samuel is the eighth book of the New Testament or the Old Testament. Forgive me. So if you're new here or new to Christianity, you're stumbling in here, somebody, you know, you lost a bet and happened to come this morning. It is all good. Second Samuel 23 is we're going to camp out. We're only going to go through two verses. But as you turn there, let me give you a little bit of a recap, give you a little bit of some what's going on, some context to kind of explain what is happening in this portion of text. David at this time is, is the king and it's towards the end of his life. And much with our lives, we have a tendency to look back and reminisce and remember what has been done. And so at the end of this book, as they're, chron they're chronicling David's life, they're talking about people and exploits and wars that are being remembered. In this particular passage, there is a group of, of, of men referred to as mighty men. And these were uh, those that served David diligently during his time and reign as king. Now, how did David find these men? What was the prerequisite or what do we know about them? Don't turn there, but in 1 Samuel 22, we are told that these men were distressed, discontent, and in debt. Does that sound like mighty army to you? Oh, I don't know about you. That sounds like a cast from like Jerry Springer or Jersey Shore, right? Like if I'm going to battle, I don't know if I want those people on my team. I want the tall people with straight teeth and an APAC. I want them to be like suave and debonair. But isn't it true of God that he doesn't look at the outward like man does, but he looks at the inward, which gives everyone in this room some hope. Praise the Lord. I am too short. I'm too overweight. I'm too dark and I'm too everything else, too extra. But yet in, but in spite of that, God can use me and God can use you as he used distressed, in debt and discontent people. Now something happened though. They encountered David. They encountered the king. What I come to you with today is that when you encounter the king, the king of kings, you cannot help but be changed as well. In, in, in 2 Samuel, verse 11, we're going to pick this up. And there's a list of three of David's mighty warriors. Now, there's a list of his mighty men. Uh, David had a bad army. I mean, they were master blaster from Lancaster. This is the big kahuna, the big enchilada. This is, I mean, these guys are bad. But of the group, and bad meaning good. I know this is the Midwest. I have some urban vernacular that I'm going to bring to you today, okay? They were so bad, they were good, all right? And of that group, three of them rose to the top. We're going to only speak about one, and his name is Shammah. Pick it up in verse 11. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi the Herite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them, but Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Since names are the focus of of, of part of this message. I want us to understand what the name Shama means. For those that are taking note this morning, the name Shama means fear, run away, devastated, humiliated. 
His name represented his destiny. I don't want us to gloss over this. I want us to feel the weight of this because there are people in this room that either right now or have felt like a runaway, humiliated, devastated. But how God views you and how others view you or how you view yourself are diametrically opposed. See, this is something that Shama was born into. His name was given to him. His destiny was being judged by his history. But listen, as he wasn't limited to, by, uh, his history was limited, your history does not have to be limited either. You are who God calls you to be. You are who God calls you to be. As we fight like Shama, I want us to note and jot down three things that we see in this text that allow him to step into his true identity and allows us to do the same. Number one note takers is know your enemy. Write that down, know your enemy. The Philistines um, were the Israelites' enemy, but don't get it twisted. Church, we have an enemy too. His name is the father of lies and he's whispering things to us that cause us to question our identity, cause us to question the favor of God in our life. See, Satan knows your name, but calls you by your sin. God knows your sin and calls you by your name. You are a child of God. West Campus, North Campus, online, you need to hear this. You are a child of God above any other name. God plucked you out of eternity, placed you on this earth with a plan and a purpose and a destiny over your life. Shama was the name that others gave him. But what name have we taken on? What name have we assumed? And I'm not talking about your first name or your middle name or your last name or your nickname. I'm talking about the things that you've believed about yourself. I've always been this way. I will forever be this way because I've always been this way. How many of us have fallen into that trap where like, I do what I do because I do what I've done. So I'm gonna do what I've always done. You are not your issue. You are not a mistake. You are not your sin. You are not your struggle. You are not your secret. You are who God says that you are. And you might have lost, but you're not a loser. You might have been victimized, but you're not a victim. You might have made a mistake, but you are not a mistake. You are a child of God. And we could sing about it, and we could write about it, we could read about it, but it's high time that we stand up and act like it. I am a child of God. It doesn't matter what has been done to me, for me, or against me. I know who I am. I know who I am. We are not what has been done to us, but what has been done for us on the cross at Calvary. I love that when Jesus hung on the cross in Calvary, his arms stretched out wide with nails piercing his feet and his hands, and he cries out to tell us die, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished, it is finished, meaning we no longer need a priest or a mediator. We have direct access with God Almighty. The veil and the holies of holies tore from the top to the bottom, representing that we have direct access to an Almighty God. A.W. Tozer says, it's not a doctrine to be held, but a life to be lived. We are children with access to the creator of the universe. Let's back this up with some scripture. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. 
so that in him we might be the righteous, become the righteousness of God. The moment that Jesus died, we no longer have to think the thoughts that we thought about us. We no longer have to say the things that others said that we would become. No. See, as Shama listened to his name, there might have been something generational that I want to unpack. See, Shama was the son of Agi. We read that in verse 11. Well, what does the name Agi mean? Uh, note takers. Agi means one who runs, fugitive, and coward. Ooh. So Shama, fear, runaway, humiliated, is the son of coward, the one who runs. I don't want to intimate anything, but do you see something generational here? Do you see something generational? So I want us to go back into our family history and think, has there been a pattern that has repeated? So all Shama knew was dysfunction. And maybe that's the only thing that you know. Maybe you feel like I'm going to be divorced because everyone in my family is divorced. I'm going to be a loser because everyone in my family is a loser. I'm going to be morbidly obese because everyone in my family is morbidly obese. No, 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 no. We could break the pattern through the shed blood of Jesus. And I'm not saying we dishonor our family, but we could be, we could honor our family tree, by rep, but also recognize that we will not be defined by our family tree. Point number two, jot this down. Encounter the king. When you're about to step into your destiny, when there is a plan and a purpose for your life, you have to know your enemy and then you've got to know the king. Encounter the king. When we encounter the king of kings, not just King David, when we encounter the king of kings, we cannot help but be changed. See, uh, David's army, they were, remember, dead and distressed and discontent and all the other stuff. Well, listen, I don't want it to feel like it's very far from us, like we don't get it. Oh, Bless their hearts. They were, you know, distressed and in debt and discontent. But I don't know what that feels like. I'm from Missouri. <laughs> you, maybe you don't resonate with being in debt, but maybe you are spiritually broke. Maybe you are relationally poor, like so poor you can't afford the OR. You just poor, right? <laughs> distressed. Do you de deal with anxiety, depression, the feeling of being choked out in the middle of the night, waking up with your heart palpitating in a cold sweat? What about discontent? Are you angry? Do you have a stank face all the time? In Spanish, it's a cara de fuchi, like something smells all the time. Yeah, distress, discontent, and debt, they're not far from us. But under the leadership of King David, and dare I say, under the leadership of the King of Kings, we can change. We could change. Our identity changes when we meet the king. And we can, I, I'm going to infer a little bit here, but no doubt Shama, scripture doesn't say this, but no doubt Shama must have met King David. If they're fighting in battle, I'm sure that they met. Maybe even had a conversation. Maybe King David even asked him his name. Now, this is fascinating. This is fascinating. In my mind's eye, he's not the leader of the pack. He's not the cool jock that everyone wants to be around. And before you think that I'm a heretic, you need to understand that um, I'm, I'm just a little bit dramatic sometimes. But I feel like it's like the joie de vivre. It's the joy of life. It's the juge factor, right? So I read my Bible a little bit differently. And if you are a DFL or DSN, this is not going to be new to you. But for the brothers in the house or for those that couldn't come, you need to understand how I read my Bible. I love putting characters around characters in the Bible. Um, this comes from a beautiful history of being um, uh, spending a lot of time with my Puerto Rican grandmother. And we would go to her house. She would allow us to drink coffee and watch soap operas with her. She's the best grandma ever. And 
but before you judge me, you have to understand that like um, Spanish soap operas are very different than American soap operas, okay? So American soap operas like General Hospital, Young the Restless, Days of Our Lives, somebody comes in, a beautiful svelte woman with a trim waist, will be speaking to a forlorn lover and she would just look languidly at her lover and say, but John, I don't understand. I love you, please don't leave me. But then a Spanish soap opera, somebody comes in like Sofia Vergara in a really tight dress, fake eyelashes so long that when she blinks, you feel it through the screen. She's got her hair back home and she walks in with four inch high heels, but, pero Juanito, no se va mi amor, no entiendo lo que yo quiero, te quiero mi amor, te quiero. Somebody comes in, shoots Juanito, you find out that Juanito is her baby daddy and you're looking at the screen like, oh my goodness. Why did Juanito die? And this is the way I want to read God's word. Because we can read God's Bible. We can read God's word like it's boring. Like it's a historical piece of fiction and shama, which means fugitive and runaway. Like, let's break down the hermeneutics of this text. Bump that. I want to go into the pages of scripture. And you know, shama isn't the guy, hello, my name is Skip. My father's name is Shadwick. I grew up in uh, Highland Springs and Mill Creek. I went to Harvard and I could balance your financial ledger and crush a beer can with my forehead. I mean, do you think that's shama? I don't think I'm crazy here, church, all right? I see Shama as like this young kid from the north side who grew up on Kearney Street. We got one ghetto person over here, praise God. Hold it down, hold it down, Kearney Street, yeah! What's up? You know, Shama's name means coward. He's not standing at the front of the pack with swag. Maybe he's in the back. But something happens. Maybe King David called his name. Fear, come forward. It's time to fight. One day the king is going to ask your name. And when the king asks my name, because of my history, I could easily say my name could be first generation American, obese, illiterate, overweight, raised in the hood, homeschooled, trying to figure out life, repeating the generational cycles of everyone else from the hood. No, I know who I am. I'm a daughter of the Most High King of Kings. My name is Bianca Wattis Oltoff. I'm a fierce warrior breaking down the doors of hell to release captives in the mighty name of Jesus, to war in the name of Jesus, to fight for those that do not have a voice, for those that are incarcerated, for those that are oppressed, oppressed, depressed. I stand and say you can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I am his mighty, 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 mighty warrior. And I'm not alone. You have to get to that point where you say, I am not going to move. But I want to be honest with you. This is a daily decision. Yesterday. Friends, yesterday. uh, My husband and I, uh, we're driving. We're on our way to the gym. And I was kind of wrestling with, to be honest with you, speaking here today. And it wasn't like, I always get nervous before I have to teach and communicate God's word because I mean, it's God's word, right? You don't want to mess that one up. Um, and, 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 and I was thinking about this house, the emphasis on the word, the amazing teaching and preaching that comes from this house. I just saw on Instagram that Pastor John has completed the New Testament exegetically. 
people on this platform are around the world. And there was a part of me that just went into like, I'm a little girl from the hood, never went to seminary. I just love Jesus. I don't know what I'm doing here. And as I was communicating this to my husband and, you know, he's trying to be, you know, Bianca, pull yourself together. Come on. We're driving. And I looked up and I saw a street sign that said Battlefield Road. And I felt in this weird way that God was speaking to me. Bianca, you're a warrior. And tomorrow you're going to be going to a battlefield. If you're a warrior, act like it. Ooh, okay, I hear you. Okay, fine, Jesus. And if that wasn't enough, Pastor Debbie, her prophetic self, she texts me, Bianca, be yourself. You know, uh, it was something along with be yourself and give that simple word. And that's what I was wrestling with. I'm like, oh my gosh, literally God, OMG. Um, uh, we're going through two verses, two. But that's who I am. I'm a simple warrior. I'm Shama, and I want to tell people we are part of a new system, a new kingdom, and God is giving you a new name. God is not judging you by your strength. We are judged by the strength of a limitless God who wants us to do limitless things. What is your name? He's whispering a new name over you. This is, our God is the God who renames people and reclaims situations. How do I know this? John 15, 15 says, no longer do I call you friends, servants. Because a servant doesn't know what his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. I love Israel Houghton, but he's not the only one that can sing that song. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend. No, you can sing that too. I love, I am a friend of God. And he's giving you and me a new name. He took Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Saul to Paul, Simon to Peter. He's giving you a new name if you have ears to hear it. How do we know this? Revelation 2.17. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only by one who receives it. God is saying, I have something brand new for you. It has nothing to do with where you've been. It has everything to do with where you are going. It has nothing to do with your weaknesses. It has everything to do with my strength. Do you want this name? The moment that we say yes to Jesus, please be the Lord and Savior of my life. You are who he says that you are. You can do what he says that you can do and be who he says that you can be. Everything changes when we meet the King of Kings. You have to celebrate it because not everyone's going to celebrate it. Not everyone's even going to see it. Check out verse 11. When the Philistines banded together at a place where the field was full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. Shama had a field and the Philistines came to take it. But let me tell you something, fam. You have a field and there's an enemy that wants to take it. What's your field? You know what your field is. Your field could be your marriage. Your field could be your wayward child. Your, fear, your field could be your scholastic endeavors, the ministry call upon your life. What is your field? The verse says that it was full of lentils. What are lentils? Beans, frijoles, like it's poor man's food, right? It's not a gold mine. It's not a field of oil. No, it's beans. It's completely underwhelming. 
But if God gave it to you, it is a gift from God that no one else will value. No one else will fight for. It is yours. You are going to have to fight for your field, even when no one else is the value of importance about it. Your education, your dreams, your aspirations, your family, your family member salvation, which leads us to point number three. Friends, write this down. Fight for your field. Scripture says that the field was full of lentils. What does that indicate? That it's harvest time. The devil doesn't attack when nothing's in your field. No, he attacks when you have a full field. So maybe the reason why you feel under attack right now isn't because you've done something wrong. Maybe it's because your harvest time is coming. Stand up and fight. You are not done because you are not dead. Stop acting like it. If you put yourself in your car, you came to church. No, I am a mighty warrior and I am going to fight for this. Scripture says there was a field full of lentils. Israel's troops fled from them. The enemy comes in. And note that the Israelite army fled. The army's gone. Shama, Scripture tells us, stands. There will be moments that you will have to stand alone. And maybe people around him were saying, Shama, the Philistines are upon us. Let's go. Run away. Come on. Your name means coward. Let's go. Do you see? They're, they're going to overwhelm us. They're going to overtake us. No. Maybe. Maybe Shama is looking at the Philistines saying, this is my field. This is my God. And he will fight for me. Look at verse 12. But Shama took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. I love the movie Gladiator. Russell Crowe, you know what I'm saying, man? He's out on that field. And I, I ended up in the theater when I saw this movie. And I just wanted to get up with a praise hanky and shofar saying, get them. Yes. Yes, Lucia Maximus, get them, the Spaniard. Did, am I the only one that turns up at movies? This is the visual that I want you to get in your head. He is surrounded by the Philistines who have oppressed God's people for generation and everyone else left. You know what I love? The scripture tells us that David had a fierce army. These were the mighty men. Like they, they were bad. Remember, so bad they were good. Were they the ones that left? The mighty other men, the, the, the ones in the 300, did, did, did they leave? Shama, Shama stood there. As they surrounded him, everyone laughed and there was a gap in my mind's eye. In my mind's eye, there's a gap between them and him. He sees everyone else on the way and he stands. Maybe you feel like the Philistines are upon you. Maybe you feel the illness, the debt, the divorce, the bankruptcy, the child, your job, your boss, your weight, halitosis, fill in the gap, whatever it is, feels like it's so overwhelming and everyone else has walked away. Can you stand? Can you say no? In my mind's eye, this brother from the north side of Springfield, living on Kearney Street, Stands up, says, no, not today, Satan, not today. This is my field. This is my house. This is my God. Catch me outside. How about that? Right? No, no, you don't want to mess. 
You can come for me, but I'm going to go down fighting. He didn't leave. Scripture tells us that he fought off. There's another account of this in First Chronicles. Instead of the, it was anywhere. It was a couple hundred men. A couple hundred men were surrounding this brother. Can you see what Scripture says? He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord brought about a great victory. It wasn't about Shama. It wasn't about lentils. It wasn't about a field. It wasn't about David's army. It was about the Lord who brought about the victory. That's the testimony I want to have. That's the testimony I want to see for James River Church. It is a God did it testimony. Because if we do it, then it's me, myself, and I. I grabbed the bull by the horns and I succeeded. What a pathetic way to live. We want to, we serve an impossible God who wants to do impossible things through us and through this church. So are we going to stand idly by and be like, well, church is really great or stand up and say, I want to host. I want to grow. I want to give. I want to go to Ecuador. I want to stuff backpacks. I want to go to a baseball game. Are we going to be shamas to rise up and say, it is a God testament. As Pastor John had mentioned earlier, we just have this crazy vision, my husband, myself, and the team of going into prisons. You guys, I wear fake eyelashes, high heels, and love carbohydrates, okay? Like, I don't do prison work. I don't do prison work. I saw prison break, but that's about the extent of it. When the Lord, I, I believe, gave me a word out of Isaiah to see amazing, I mean, amazing work and transformation that's happening. Because there are people who are incarcerated who have more spiritual freedom than some people I'm seeing in church. And if Paul was in prison and Peter was in prison and John the Baptist was in prison, why can't we go and meet these people, these prophetic foretellers, to be church in a place that is so far from church? We have this audacious goal of bringing over 5,000 Bibles and books, resources to uh, female inmates in California and in Texas and wherever the Lord opens up the door, where we go in and have outreaches and communicate the word of God over these people's lives. Does that sound audacious? Does that sound insane? Does that sound crazy? Absolutely. But I want a God did it testimony. I want to look at my stepkids and my husband and stand before James River in 2018 and say, won't he do it? Won't my God do it? I want to be Shama because it doesn't matter what my name is. In Ezekiel 48, 35, it ends the book of Ezekiel with this phrase, the Lord is there. The original Hebrew word says Jehovah Shama. Run away. The Lord is there. Can he turn? Can he flip the script? Can he transport? Can he give us a new name? It doesn't matter if your name means coward, runaway, or humiliated. Your name can be changed with God into God is there. Do you want to be there with God? Do you want your name to change? I want to preach to a verdict. This is what I will say. I don't care if your name was Shama, Mary, Magdalena, Shaniqua, John, James. You have a new name in Christ. It is child of God. And I want to invite you to say, I want Jesus. I want a God did it testimony. God, I pray over your people today that you do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all we could ask, think, hope, or imagine. In the mighty name of Jesus, fill this room and these hearts. I pray for this church, the work that is yet to be done for the pastors, the pastoral team, the prayer team, the host, the volunteers, and the dream team, that this is not just a campus of three or four 
I want a campus of 10, a campus of 20 around the globe that are testifying to the goodness of God in the land of the living. You are not done. The best is yet to come. We are Shamas who stand in this field saying, yes, Lord, won't he do it? In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.